I have. I have an incredible dark web story that is beyond the scope of this podcast. Well, that's that's brutal for the listeners. Well, I'll say I'll give it the thirty seconds. I think intro we've told this story. I think we might have, but I had an ignorant uh, but wonderful friend who got in trouble and called me up and said, "Rich, do you know anything about the dark web?" It turns out he had put his name into the Ashley Madison website before it leaked. So he wanted to get us to go on the dark web. I think all he meant was the part of the web that has bad news, which is the web. <laughs> it's now the web. <laughs> Rich, have you ever heard of the dark web? I have. I, I've heard of it, but I don't have like a good solid definition in my head. Well, so look, we should define it. Let's talk to somebody about it and about okay. this is a cheerful place that does work for clients in a very public way, right? But there is a very bad internet out there. Like not just people saying weird stuff on Twitter, but people doing crimes with a capital C. Mm-hmm. And Someone who has gone deep, deep into the world, the criminal underworld of the internet, is here today with us, and that's Evan Ratliff. And he's okay. And he's okay. He came back. He came back, and he looks okay. I feel, um, I feel okay. Okay. Yeah, you're wearing a sweater. Uh, it's not just a sweater. It's a cardigan. Let's talk to Evan Ratliff, who has written a book called The Mastermind. Talk about the title. You just... Did you do the title at the end? You're like, what am I going to name this? No, I started with the title. Really? Yeah. I had the title from the very beginning. Did you Amazon search? Like, have there been other books called The Mastermind? There's a very good book called Mastermind about scam artists. But you're like, I'm getting Um, that the in there. But the the is different. And there's only so many titles out there, really. So it's true. There's not so much that you can do. But I, I called it The Mastermind partly because when I started doing reporting, and it's about this guy, Paul LaRue, and I was like, trying to figure out who Paul Rue was. I started talking to people and people would say things like, I won't say his name. He's the mastermind. People would say shit like that. Ooh, like, so, like Voldemort. Yeah. yeah so then exciting. I thought, well, <laughs> it is, it's very enticing. So I hung on to that. All right. So first of all, tell us about what did the bad man do? <laughs> it's like, what didn't the bad man do? Is kind of what the book is about. I mean, he's a tech entrepreneur. So okay. he actually started out as a, a programmer, who wrote encryption software. So in his sort of early years, he wrote this piece of encryption software called Encryption for the Masses, E4M. That sounds, uh, that sounds really useful to people who need privacy. Incredibly useful. He released it in 99. It actually then became the basis of TrueCrypt, which is like mm-hmm. one of the more famous disk encryption programs. But this is a pretty early stage, like yeah. serious person working in encryption. Yes, and participating in the open source software movement. He gave away E4M for free. And he actually became kind of embittered by that, giving away the software for free, watching other people commercialize it, Mm -hmm. not making any money. He was having a really hard time. There were rich people all around him. It's like 1999, 2000. And so he decided to get into online pharmaceuticals. And he developed an online pharmaceutical network, which was brilliant in its construction. And he made hundreds of millions of dollars selling painkillers to Americans. This this was illegal. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, this is where it gets funny, right? It best described as gray area at the time. Yeah. The, the ones that he was selling, the painkillers he was selling were not controlled substances. So they were not on the scheduled substances like like Oxycontin or something. Right. So he was selling like Lycodin. 
Moxie <laughs> kind of. They were like tramadol is one of them. Gotcha. Dior sets one of them. Soma is one of them. So they are addictive painkillers. They were not scheduled. You still need a prescription. But the way he'd set up the network was that American doctors and American pharmacies were his distribution network. So he recruited them into this network. So if you wanted some tramadol, you may just Google tramadol at the time. Right? Sure. And then my back hurts. All these sites would show up. Mm-hmm. And then you go to one of the sites. Looks just like any e-commerce site. Get some tramadol. You put it in your cart. You have to fill out a survey. What's your condition? What's your, you know, have you had a medical in the la- medical examination last year? You just fill that out, and then that would go to a real doctor, and the doctor would approve your prescription, write a prescription, but virtually, and then that would go to a real pharmacy. And like the pharmacy was, the one I read about in the book is like a seventy-something-year-old pharmacist in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, who was like trying to compete with big box retailers, didn't have any web presence. And every now and then a pickup truck filled of tramadol would just come and drop them off. Well, he would, he would, he would send them out through FedEx. And so then the umbrella organization, which is Paul LaRue's organization, RX limited, they're handling all of the digital part plus the FedEx account. And so taking their cut millions and millions of doses are perfect out. This is a perfect VC backed product company with the exception of the gray market part, because it's a market. Yeah. It's not, this is, I mean, not unlike, you know, Viagra and like erectile dysfunction stuff also exploded like that on the internet. Yeah. Because people didn't want to go to their doctors Just, or whatever. It, one of the smartest things about it was the, all the, he had the whole like tech stack basically. So when they would try to, for instance, have the URLs shut down, like go to registrars and say like, okay, shut down rxpills.com. He had actually created his own domain registrar in the Philippines, gotten it officially approved by ICANN so that he was okay. just minting his own domains. So you couldn't shut him down. Oh, he was so just, he, he he just was make more. Full stack in a way that we don't even think about. Like, uh, I mean, he was aiming to be as independent as possible. Yes. He wanted to eliminate any sort of avenues to, to curtail what he was doing. Yeah, and to get to him. So and Successfully, it sounds like. Very successfully. And he had an incredible business. And then he had call centers in the Philippines and Israel to handle the customer service and outbound marketing and everything. And then what he decided to do with his money was to get into real, like, on-the-ground crime all over the world. So, like, arms dealing, cocaine dealing, methamphetamine. He started a militia in Somalia. He was doing gold dealing in Africa. He sold arms to Iran. He was getting methamphetamine out of North Korea. So he just, like, he decided to leverage his online success into a like conglomerate of the biggest crimes that you could think of. Okay. Oh, so it's the so, opposite of philanthropy. He was no. just sort of like, I, it, I, I need to make the world much, much worse. So wait, is, is he known <laughs> as Joe Smith at this point? Uh, at the time he's doing all this? Yeah. No. I mean, he would surface in the news a couple of times over the years. So he started the pharmaceutical business in 2004 and mm. then you could find a little bit about him online because he was doing weird stuff like he tried to lobby the U.S. government to buy a bunch of land in Zimbabwe. He's from South Africa, by the way. He was born in Zimbabwe and raised partly there, partly in South Africa. Who is coming after him, by the way? Is it like the feds? Like what? what? Yeah, okay. so the, the, the FBI DEA. or the DEA. Oh, yeah. The DEA. tricky. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is big. He, he, he actually, as they were tracking him, he started pulling his name off stuff. So his mm. name used to be on the on the servers at the peer locations and it used to be on the websites and then he started Mixing hiding it up. Yeah, yeah, he was getting 
kind of encased in these layers, so it would be harder to get to him. Sure. And then he was living in the Philippines. He had bought off the authorities and the government in the Philippines for protection. So he had like people bought off inside the U.S. embassy. So when the DEA went after him, he knew like he could track them what they were looking at. Wow. And so that's part of the reason why it took so long to catch him. And he was really unknown to the world for many, many years, except for occasionally surfacing okay. in kind of like weird hotspots like Somalia. Okay. Did he have a very large house with lots of burly men and guns? He did. He, okay. had, he had many houses in the Philippines and penthouse condos. And then his burly guys with guns were mercenaries that he had hired some ex-U.S. military, ex-British military, ex-South African military guys who kind of had worked in the wars in, our, in Iraq and Afghanistan, then were out of work. And they would do anything for him, including intimidate and kill people. So he had a kill team that he would send out to take care of people. Well, now we just got now. Okay, okay. Uh, Now we're in the big leagues. That's really bad. Don't don't do that. I imagine big granite lions. Yeah, me too. Does he have a family? He does have a family. Yeah, yeah. He he uh, he was married and had kids. How do you get in this story? Are you one day like I just want to get a little tramadol, just sort of see what's happening, <laughs> fire up your tour browser? Like what? What? How'd you get into this? Basically, one of his mercenary guys, a guy named Joseph Hunter, whose nickname is literally Rambo. Everyone called him Rambo. If you see a picture of him, you're like, oh, that man looks like a mercenary. He's like a, an MMA fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, he was arrested in 2013 in a sting operation by the DEA, where he was part of a kill team that was going to kill a DEA agent. And that was in the news. And yeah. so that's the first time I heard about any part of this organization. Paul LaRue's name was still not very public at that time, but that's when I started reporting on who was Joseph Hunter and where did this team come from? And it kind of like all went from there. And it's got this tech angle. So you're you're sort of like, what? what? Like that's, how's that all fitting together? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And like, how did a guy who's like, He's basically the the like prototypical tech founder in some ways. Like, and then he's like starts a venture in a market, and it just it follows this like startup story, and that right. that really fascinated me. Julian Assange is like this too. Like, there he wrote uh, you know the Unix anagram finder and released it open source, and just like oh okay, and then one day his ideology takes over and he's like WikiLeaks, and then the crazy starts happening. Yeah, I think what's distinct here though is he's got that. It's just ambition, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not money at that point. You said he made a ton of money off the, the drugs. Yeah, it's one of those things, you know. Just kept going. Yeah, that you look at any of those guys or Elon Musk and you're like, okay, you well, you could going. just stop now and you could just, you're exactly. fine. Exactly. Like, no, I need more. I need bigger. And he would say the same kinds of things, like just wanting to grow the organization or just, I love big deals. I just want to make bigger deals, you know. He what was else are you going to do? He yeah. with growth yeah. for no particular reason and he didn't need more money. Right. Right. So he is like a grim parody of startup culture. I think so. We're still early. What year are we now? 2010, I would say. He was like deep into all of these. Well, see, big recession too. Good hiring. You can get, you, you can get some great people. A lot, for of now, a lot of money. Yeah. 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 Then, you know, the, the DEA started closing in on him a little bit. And they also were moving to, to make the drugs controlled, the ones that he was working on. So by 2012, they start to, I think that's when, or maybe late 2011, it was in Soma, one of the big three drugs got controlled, and then the other two got added later, but they were kind of circling around him, and so then he did this insane thing where he moved from the Philippines to Brazil. He was going to sort of restart in Brazil. He had a new shell companies registered and stuff, and new people there. He was doing a lot of cocaine trafficking out of South America anyway, and then he tried <laughs> wow. to 
he basically paid these women for him to impregnate them so that he would have Brazilian children so it would be difficult to extradite him from Brazil. So he was basically like having children in order to establish a foothold in Brazil, which worked actually because they were like, we can't get him out of Brazil. But then they lured him to Liberia, which is where he was arrested. So he just keeps pivoting and, and tweaking and change. Like if we keep running with the Amazon metaphor, the impregnation of Brazilian women is like the Amazon echo that shows up. It's like, why would Amazon do that? <laughs> Right? Well, because you're trying to build a platform. You're trying, really, to, build you're trying to build a global trying to understand platform. understand how people live their lives. No, exactly. and, it, and if you, we talk a lot, a lot about the concept of lock-in. Yeah. I, I'm just sort of fascinated by the level of malevolence here, right? It's, so did you ever talk to this person? Is that in the book? No, yeah, I did not speak to him. He testified for many, many hours. So most of the questions that I would have asked him got asked. Mm. I didn't get to sit across Where is he now? He is incarcerated here. He's in jail in New York City. Oh, so like he and El Chapo are like passing notes. Uh, yeah, I assume they're both in some sort of isolation. Yeah. Uh, well, El Chapo. At least I would. I, Paul, I would Paul not Paul put them together. I, I wouldn't put them together. Well, it sounds... there is a crazy story which comes at the end of the book, which is about who they did put him with. Oh no! They put him with this hacker named Mir Islam, who was part of this hacking group called Ug Nazi. They housed him adjacent to Larue in the same kind of small population. And then Mir Islam got out and was communicating with Paul Aru to like restart his business in the Philippines. Oh See, boy! Why would you do? Just look at the roster. Like, just look at. You the, know, you think that the warden of that prison is like, you know what? I shouldn't play. Like you, you well, know. I guess it would. Everything would would clash with. Have everything. you ever been to the staffing meeting in this company? What that's like when you try to. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think the HR files on people. Yeah, they're not like, they're, no one in prison is like, oh man, those guys have, you know, don't put that product manager with yeah. that designer. <laughs> yeah. And if you put a front end and back end of the guy together, you're going to get a whole platform. <laughs> like, that's not how they're filling no. the cells. Yeah, fair. Rich, let's interrupt this and tell the people that we can do all the things that they do in the mastermind, but legally for good things. Yes. We actually have many clients that are NGOs. And also we just, you know, we think thoughtfully and ethically about the kind of business we take. We work for heavily regulated international finance organizations <laughs> and media organizations that follow codes of journalistic ethics. So if you like following the rules of the world and want something beautifully built, quickly and well by good, talented, ethical people, hello at postlight.com. Now let's get back to the murder guy. (laughs) So he's in Brazil. He's He's, in Brazil. He's made some moves to sort of lock himself in there so they can't extradite him. Yeah, so so these are real spoilers, so people can can like pause and and go read the book and come back or, or not. So he's in Brazil. He he feels somewhat secure there, but then another part of the DEA called the 960 Group, which is goes after narco terrorists, people at the intersection of drugs and terrorism. They got very interested in Larue, and they designed these like high end sting operations all over the world. So they got a former employee of his to to sort of re enter his organization and lure him into a trap, and the trap was over a deal that they were setting up for him, a big deal with Colombian cartel. Wow. So that's that's how they eventually got him somewhere where they could arrest him and quickly get him out of the country and bring him to the U.S. And this is when? This is 2012. Okay. And then brought back in 12, 2012, there's a big fantastic trial. No, they kept him in complete secrecy 
because then they wanted to use him to catch uh, other people. Got so it. they pretended to the world of his employees that he was still out there. Somewhere. Because he would always disappear. I mean, he could work from anywhere. Sure. And they never knew where he was. Right. And so I mean, the world is a connected place, Paul. With VPN, you're kind of set. It's true. I wonder if they were blue jeans, Google Hangouts. Zoom. Like, Zoom. We just, this, we just alienated three potential clients this right sound, there. This definitely sounds yeah, like a Zoom great. kind it's, of organization. Yeah, it's feeling Zoom. Actually, you know what this is? is uh, Webinars. They, they do the webinars. With it's a, he's webinaring yeah, he's to run his business. Anyway. Um, well, he did have, uh, you guys would appreciate there were these, I only put a little bit of it in the book, but like, you know, he was at some level like a very, very accomplished programmer. Right. He would create his own email servers, encrypted email servers, so that even if you had a, a search See, warrant, you couldn't is, get into them. This is very poor delegation overall, though. Yes. And he would also try to get these employees to use encryption like to use mm -hmm. at first he was trying to get them to use TrueCrypt for their for their computers and also like pgp for email before uh, he this wrote is, his own. it's so hard so can you imagine these are like yeah these are mercenaries have you ever tried to use pgp like i mean it's <laughs> I, I i write my email in emacs i have I an advanced use. degree and i don't use no PGP. i know well that was they would describe like these guys like yelling at each other over and i could just like i could totally relate to it like i i yell at my computer yeah. when i'm trying to use pgp oh and, but the, the, he would get so angry at them and he'd be like, I can't even read your fucking emails. You're not doing it right. Yeah. It's just like, <sighs> this is what happens. He, he couldn't give up programming. It's, it's ambition. Very, I, you know, yeah, but it's dangerous for CEO. He should have delegated to, Oh, you're C talking about this is the management. Mistake. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. should have, it, it yeah. should have gone to the CTO and he yeah. said, I want a secure environment. Yeah. And uh, you know, you have to pay him three or four I'm times as much, but all right. So he's in secrecy. They're using him to lure other people. And he yes. has severe product problems throughout his organization. Poor delegation. <laughs> what is the infrastructure? Well, wait a minute. No, no. We, we're, we're messing it up. He's in jail. He's in he's jail at this point. Secretly yeah. in jail. He's not doing anything, really. They're trying to make it look like he's doing something. Yeah. So they would just take him out of jail during the day, and he would send a bunch of emails and make a bunch of calls, and then they'd put him back in. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> so his employees are just sort of think he's working, and also he's got new deals and new plans, and so yeah, they're kind of yeah, like yeah, yeah. being sent all over the world to do new things and yeah. meet with new people, and it doesn't occur to them that those new people all happen to work for the DEA. Sure. Oh, so this is a real flaw in the truly decentralized organization, right? Which is that at any time, a hostile actor could make one of the nodes start to behave as if everything was still normal. While Even though were, everything's been compromised. While they were gathering intel. Yeah, sure. you need some sort of verification, ongoing verification that you're actually dealing with the same person you were dealing with before. I guess they were but dealing with the same person. Yeah, I don't know how you could verify yeah, I mean, you can't, as I I like, could that. As I like to say, as the CEO of Postlight, you have to cut the snake off at the head. You've never said no, that. No, I've never. As a CEO, Imagine as me at like an all hands. Okay, everybody. No, I've never heard yeah. that from you. So, um, how long is he in prison for? That's that's still as yet unknown. He hasn't been sentenced yet. And he, uh. he cooperated. He provided significant cooperation. So... Uh, it's quite variable what sentence. Oh, he's going to be out in five years, and he's going to start a show called Shark Tank, but it's literally him just putting people in a shark tank. How, how is Netflix not all over this? It is. Uh, it's airtight. There are people. Uh, it is in development. I'll say that. It's uh, Yeah, it's with, with really great people, too. The Russo brothers and uh, Noah Hawley and the producers of The Walking Dead. Okay, has it been great. cast? No, it's not at that stage. Okay, all right, let's cast it, Paul. Well, what's the guy look like? He's a big guy. Uh, he's, uh, let's see, he's a few years older than me. He's now, he was born in 1972, so he's... 46. Uh, when he was out, he would often, like, bleach bleach his hair. Like, he had bleach blonde hair. 
has a he has a yeah. he has a huge head. Like hide his identity, bleaching the head. Or? Nah, nobody no, nobody does. You don't he's, do that to hide your head. Very recognizable. <laughs> you do that because you watched like Johnny Mnemonic seven times. <laughs> You're in the virtual. All right, let's, I, I I got the lead. Elliot Gould. Too old. Okay. Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin. But or is this guy a talker? Yeah, he's a talker. Who's like a fast talker, big dude? John C. <laughs> Riley. John C. Riley could be good. He'd add a little, a little like we'll, a we'll comedy comedic. to it. Yeah. I mean, the I, the ultimate, the person who would have been perfect would have been Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like, God, absolutely perfect. Like, like a little, really could have genuinely nerdy, but also just well, that's like depressing, terrifying, that's sinister. That's sad. Is there like a strong female lead in this narrative? Yes, as a matter of fact, the, one of the Minneapolis investigators is an investigator named Kimberly Brill, who she was really the person who, when no one would pay any attention to this guy, it's her crazy. She was wall. like, yeah, she yeah. was like, no, no, you you have to understand, like he's it's huge, like yeah. the thing is huge, and people would say, like, you know, kind of pat on the head. Oh, it's got to be really hard too, because you're like, it goes to DNS, yeah. and everybody's <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Oh, uh, you know the pin board? Where yeah, that's all the crazy wall. Like, that's the crazy <laughs> wall. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and first, like she and and her partner when she started out, they had to teach themselves all that stuff. So they right. had to, like domain service, all that. They, I mean, they'd been trained on a little bit of it, but there was no one no, there no, to I tell mean, them what it was, I and mean, so they figured it out all on their own. Well, also this guy trying to explain it. This guy's a world class expert on information security and internet infrastructure. Like, want, clearly one of the best in the world. Like, you don't pull that stuff off. Probably be really delayed good. things years. There's clearly like seventy points where this guy could have said. Cool. That's enough. I'm going to walk away and be incredibly wealthy and powerful for the rest of my life. Do a couple crooked things on the side, but not end up in federal prison in the United States for the rest of my life. The angle here, I mean, I think it's, it's amazing the, the, the skills he had, right? It's, it's like John Gotti had, like, fully understanding TCP IP. This is amazing. Right. right? Like Which writing, I think delayed like that bomb yeah. so much time. Like if Al Capone could write C, what yeah. would that mean? Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's been an example because El Chapo in the El Chapo trial, he had this IT guy who oh, had right. come in and write this encrypted uh, communication system, and that guy ended up the the feds flipped him, and that was part of how they yeah. got inside his thing. Inside but it's like imagine system. if the IT guy Shouldn't was actually running the organization, exactly. he was not someone you hired. That yeah, see, again, rate. this is another larger issue, which is you know the, the CTO isn't the CTO anymore. Often they should be the CEO. Well, yes. Yes. <laughs> but then you get into the management problems that you were talking about before. You well, also have to be a good manager. That's a thing. It was great that he had the understanding, but his ability to delegate was terrible. And he had, you know, an employee who he who left, who then he tried to have killed. And then that employee, being very unhappy about that, later went to the DEA or the sure. DEA found him and then he went back in the organization and helped lure him to his ultimate arrest. So See, this is why you have to our, be careful with the employees. This is why our, people. our yeah. first hire was HR. Direct lines in the relationship between an organization, which is what you could call the mob or a company or what this guy had put together. And each one of those people is a tenuous link. I mean, that it is right there, right? Like, you know, what you say, how you handle them, Here's when you let them go. That's a big process. What blows my mind is that after years and years of working sort of, you know, in tech in general, now I'm, I'm management. And everything that I'm hearing about is this familiar, like, people problem. That was one of the things about Paul LaRue that was so intriguing was that he, now, once he had 
wealth, once he was making so much money on the pharmaceuticals, he could get into anything. Like right. his strategy was he would send, he would maybe have some very tenuous idea of like, okay, I'm going to get in cocaine business uh-huh. or I'm in the cocaine business. I want to be further into it. I'm just to send a guy to Peru where I've heard that there are cartels, like literally just send him and be like, uh, see if you can find some connections. Someone just wander around trying to figure out who to talk to. If you have a hundred thousand U- U.S. dollars, like in a in a bag, you can get a lot done in the world. Exactly. And then eventually, if you get in the meeting, you find the real people and they have the real stuff. He would wire them a million dollars on the sure. spot. I mean, and honestly, then you're in business. I bet if you just like had the right ter- search terms on LinkedIn, you know, you just. I don't know if it's in LinkedIn. Tell us a little bit. How do you? Okay. Just talk a little bit about your process. It sounds like there's a ton of research to do. Yeah, there was a lot of reporting. So, I mean, I I went to a lot of the places where he operated. So I spent a good bit of time in the Philippines and uh, Hong Kong where he was laundering his money, Israel where he had call centers, Brazil where he ended up. All so, very warm, I noticed. Yeah, That's they're, they're not bad places Why to bother? go. The, I mean, the main thing that I wanted to do was to find people in the organization because okay. a lot of the people never got caught. Right. So, I went and met with mercenaries who had worked for him, people who had worked for the call centers, people who ran his money, all sorts of things, people who moved gold for him, and sort of piecing together the whole organization from all of their perspectives and kind of getting their stories. So that took, I mean, I worked on it for five years. So mm-hmm. And took, he's not talking to anybody. He's not talking to anybody as far as I know. I mean, he's trying his, to... His lawyer. Yeah, his lawyer and his lawyer is not talking to me. So, I mean, he was forced to testify. So he there was a lot about him admitting to murders right. and other crimes. Right. But yeah, and finding even people who, uh, victims of his or families of victims of his and things like that. Sure. Okay, so five years. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a good feeling. <laughs> Are there other people like this in the world today? I would say yes. I mean, he's a little bit singular in terms of his skills. I mean, it's almost like he made a template and someone's probably out there like, uh, thinking about following it. I mean, there's a lot of focus on the dark web, which is really something different in many ways than LaRue. Like that's, he was right. not cryptocurrency. He was not Tor browsers. He was not trying to access some corner of the web. No, he, I mean, that's why he, he was like working out in the open like any other retailer on well, online. Well, you can't retailer, make hundreds you know? of millions of dollars otherwise. He, he yeah. sought demand. He saw people would buy a thing and went out and sold it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, these These are not people that are criminals or part of a network. They're normal people in the Midwest. What's banana cakes here? Is that this guy, like, he's great at setting up call centers and delivering customer satisfaction. Like, he could have, there is a way that he could have just made hundreds of millions of dollars without actually destroying people's lives. Absolutely. The same skills that you build a billion dollar company with. Yeah. And it's just, except he, you know, destroyed lives. Yep. Which leads me to my final question. What can just a normal business person, entrepreneur, especially in the technology world, what's the one thing they can take away from this person? Well, I mean, I think his biggest downfall as a leader of a large organization was, I mean, it was just wanting too much too fast. He didn't want to have average returns on whatever business he was getting into. He wanted absolute growth. He wanted 5,000% returns and the only places to get those were in incredibly risky businesses, which happened to also be criminal. But it, I mean, the parallel is just not being satisfied, I guess, in the case of, of a company, mm-hmm. it might be because you have uh, VC investors or whatever that are that are demanding a certain growth, but like not being satisfied with very healthy, uh, profitable business. Right. 
<laughs> and wanting something right. that's many Would times you... that size for no real discernible reason. Yeah. I mean, you, you touched on it, though. This is exactly what VCs expect. If you've got, you know, 20% year over year growth, that's really not interesting. Yeah. Um, and it has to be explosive. And so, for lack of a better term. Did he get off on the on that sort of growth or on the power on like, like there's a, you know, what makes someone want to have a Somalian militia? I think it was all of it. I think it was, um, he wanted to be notorious in a way. Like he wanted to be the master, the biggest criminal in the world. Yep. And he would say to people like, if I ever get caught, I'm going to be on CNN. You know, oh, he, okay. He, okay. He wanted that. Damn, he didn't even pick a major network. No, <laughs> but he was also like, a. It was like he was playing a video game, you know, like Sport. he was doing it all from his laptop. And it, I think it had that sort of quality of distance between the impacts of what he was doing. And, you know, he sure. was basically mashing buttons and yeah. people were getting killed. It must have been fun when you go to like the Internet Cafe in Rio and no yeah. one recognizes you, but you're controlling a giant empire. Like, that's, you know, what's that's cool. What's crazy in a horrible here is- way is people's, when he couldn't find his charger, people's lives were spared. Oh, it was bad. People survived. <sighs> we joke. This is grim. This is grim. Anyway, it sounds awesome. Uh, I'm Thank going you. to read this. I, yeah, I am too. I wasn't I, planning to, but this first, sounds like a lot of fun. First of all, I'm going to order it. I'll probably read it on my digital reading device. I'm assuming it's available on Amazon.com. It is, in fact, available on Amazon.com. Right, so I'm going to buy it at full retail. But if I wanted to buy it in a store, it sounds like I could do that, too. It's available in, in all of your local and na- nationwide bookstores. So no one has any excuse at all not to read no. The Mastermind by <laughs> Evan Ratliff. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Evan. This thanks, was guys. Thanks. I really enjoyed talking really to you. It was about- great to be here. The Mastermind. (laughs) (laughs) I am fascinated by the fact that that guy basically like 80 or 90% of what he did was typical startup stuff. And then it's all just crazy criminal evil. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm like... Like the Delta is not big. No, I'm struggling with the fact that I admire him in some ways. He's, he obviously, like his infrastructure ability and his his, his perception, but you know, he the, the fatal flaw there is he wasn't able to release control, and he clearly had problems with product throughout his organization. Also, the fact that he was a horrible person. Even when we talk about, oh, you know, he could have just settled for a mildly successful business that only ruined less lives. Well, let's be clear, this is a murderer. Like this is one of the. Yeah. This is a yeah, yeah. very low brutal form of humanity, but it is married with the sort of elevated technology skills that we celebrate. Yep. yep. So just goes to show you that life has a lot of paradoxes. Jesus, Paul. <laughs> Look, uh, people need to reach us after this podcast. If, if there's any clients left, they should send an email to hello at postlight.com. Have a great week. Bye. <laughs>